Hello, and welcome to Just Keep Writing While Black. A podcast for writers, by writers, to keep you writing. I'm Marshall. And I'm LP. And joining us for the first of four weeks of Just Keep Writing While Black in Black History Month of 2023 is writer, community organizer, and teaching artist Hugh H.D. Hunter, who's here to talk about his trad pub debut MG, Futureland, Battle for the Park. Welcome here to the show. We appreciate you coming. Hey, what's up? Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we're stoked. We've been talking about your book for the last couple of days. I'm already recommended to my my kids and my wife. So um, I'm a fan already. I love it. Um, so, but I hope, what, I hope they like it too, because then I, if not, they'll be mad at me and mad at you. Uh, no. I, I'm used to them being mad at me. I don't even care at this point. <laughs> no, we're stoked to have you. The book's awesome, but we'll get we'll get into all that um, in a couple of minutes. But um, normally, what we do um, on our podcast is we ask our guests um, a similar first question, um, and I kind of tailored it to the book the writing of the book. So what we normally ask is if you could describe the writing of future land in three words, and it doesn't have to be connected. It can just be three random words. Pure total chaos. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you jammed them all together. Okay, cool. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you, you're going to have to tell chaos. us about that now. So do you want to break it up or just in one thing? <laughs> no, that's de- a phrase. We're going to keep it together. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, so why pure total chaos? So, um, Futureland is a really, really complex book, I guess. Like when you lift the hood up, um, it is a book that was first ideated by a packager, Kate Creative Kitchen. So, there's an IP entity that basically came up with the idea for the book and then sort of brought me on board as a writer to execute. The, the actual prose and the vision for the book. Um, you know, beyond that, we then, of course, end up selling the book and we have, uh, you know, Random House who, who published, who's publishing the entire trilogy. Um, but by that time, we have a million cooks in the kitchen and uh, just every step of, um, you know, writing is is sort of multiplied by at least a few. You have to look at everything multiple times for the the multiple editors that are involved and all the brainstorming sessions aren't just you or you and one person, it's you and a few extra people. Mm. Um, You know, once you add to the fact that the book uh, has images, has interior uh, images and design sort of interstitials uh, and it's a mystery. So we kind of have to, you know, be able to seed and trick and and do a lot of like, uh, you know, I guess narrative design in that way. There's just layer upon layer of uh, complexity to how the book had to come into existence. And with it being my traditional debut, <laughs> I think that added another element of just like, what like what am I doing? <laughs> like, what am I doing? And <laughs> what are y'all doing? And what is going on? So the book, the first book was was pure total chaos. And I mean, I'm I'm proud of it. I'm glad that we got through it. But the next couple in the series were. Uh, we smoothed out the process a little bit. Is it less cooks in the kitchen or or what do you mean by smoothed out? Just you all kind of hit your stride kind of thing. Yeah. Same people involved. Uh, mm-hmm. More cooks in the kitchen, if, if anything. <laughs> <laughs> but I would say there's a mix between hitting a hitting like a pretty organic stride and then something that uh, I've had to learn and, and grow in just like as a writer or as a professional who's 
trying to make a place in this industry, which is like some tough conversations with folks who are on other sides of the project, whether it be editorial or the agency side and just like expressing what parts of the process that um, that we went through didn't really work well for me, what was difficult about it, what it didn't feel like, uh, what about it felt like I wasn't set up for success. And then, you know, having pointed conversations about that stuff and being able to, you know, either make it better immediately or start chipping away uh, to sort of turn it around and just forming like better working relationships with these folks who, you know, we all have to put out three books together. So if you were asked to pitch Futureland, let me let me hear that. What does that sound like? Pitch Futureland. Okay. Um, I would say if you enjoy mysteries, action, adventure, or sci-fi, then you'll love this book. And you'll love it even more if you have any sort of affinity for Black history and Black culture. Uh, It's a book about Black kids. I've been calling it like Scooby-Doo with Black kids in Atlanta. Uh, <laughs> and I robots, I guess I should add to that. <laughs> but, <laughs> it's a robots. <laughs> it's a it's a near future sci fi action adventure where uh, a twelve year old kid Cam Walker uh, joins together with a band of of newly formed friends to solve a mystery and uh, save his family's business. And the business just happens to be the world's most technologically advanced theme park. And a part of the mystery is some some technological hacking that's going on to try to, uh, you know, hamper the park. And then a part of it is actually uh, a string of mysterious disappearances that are going on that seem to be linked to the park and visitors. And so uh, I think, you know, that that description, along with the sort of interest first part of the pitch, <laughs> if you if you hear at least one thing in there that 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 uh, pricks your ears, then. You know, I say give it a shot. Do you want to do the next one? I wanted to actually respond oh, yeah. to that because yes, like, please, because I might have some too. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> the amusement park aspect of it would have been plenty by itself, right? That would have been, <laughs> that's, that's that's plenty to like hold on to. It's like, oh my God, the idea of a kid growing up in, up in an amusement park. What is that like? The idea that this amusement park travels, mm-hmm. that it moves to different places and like, that this is oh yeah they're going to be spoilers so stop now oh, right. go ahead and like you heard the pitch this the book, book. <laughs> and when I say buy the book I don't mean buy the book I mean buy the book in triplicate you're going to need it on Kindle you're going to need it uh, as audio book you're going to need the physical because when you meet Hugh you're going to want it to sign it okay moving forward spoilers <laughs> abound um, but then the idea that the that the that the theme park moves and this child is not just a child of the theme park, that he's also worldly, right? Right, right. Um, and that he's also, um, the idea of like coming to Atlanta and making in-person friends. So I have questions about like that aspect of fish out of water because I feel like I've, I've never mm. seen that version of a fish out of water before. But mm-hmm. also, um, shoot, I'm forgetting the the Rev's name. What's his best friend's name? Dooley. Dooley. Like, so that juxtaposition between like really trying to to develop in-person friendships while also um, realizing that it's taking for granted like a lifelong friend. Right. Like how did you how did you envision conceive that dynamic? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really appreciate this question. Um, when the when I first started working with Cake, 
uh, who, which is run by Danielle Clayton. So if you know any Danielle Clayton work, um, you know, she's kind of like the mastermind behind um, all of the cake projects and, and Futureland is one of them. Um, what I got was basically like an outline or a skeleton uh, of the story. And, you know, as we sold the book and got into editorial, the story started to change and sort of shift based on, you know, different people's sort of readings and perspectives. But the original story that I, the original outline that I got was, this is a kid who has to solve this high tech mystery. And at the same time, he has to go to school with real kids for the first time. And so like for a long time, before my brain really like calibrated to what other editorial voices were trying to do with the book, I was like, my heart, it, my brain is having fun with the side of this. That's the mystery in the tech. And my heart is is fully invested on the side of it. That's about this kid, like making friends. Like it's a book about a kid trying to make friends. And that just, it really sold me. So, um, you know, I, I went to two different high schools, two different colleges, um, you know, moved around a little bit as a, as a youngster. And so the idea that I'm, you're in a new place and trying to figure out exactly how you fit in is, is not foreign to me. And obviously it's not, not the same experience that, that Cam has, but uh, I just wanted to be able to write something. When I go to school visits, usually one of the first questions that I ask is, has anybody ever changed schools in the middle of a year? And I get so many kids that raise their hand and it's like, this is, that's who that part of the story is for. It's for anybody who's ever felt like, I don't know what I'm doing here and I don't know how I'm going to make it, but then you, you know, you hopefully find that life raft. And so um, the friendship part of it, I think is a lot of, it, a lot of it came inherently to me from experiences that I've had. And uh, in making new friends, there's always a trade-off, whether it's with, your chores or your old friends or, you know, your sense of self. And so duly being there, um, you know, sort of as the, the foil to how he makes these new friendships was pretty convenient. Um, but I thought, you know, let's use this relationship to try to show the value in, in who you are, even as you begin to change, like you don't have to fully change. You can still preserve the parts of yourself that are, uh, that you like, and work on other stuff. And then sometimes that's hard to see when change looks new and attractive and shiny. I really like that you said that. Um, I just also recommended this to my, I, I'm, I'm, a, I, I'm a teacher. I teach at a high school. Um, oh, so this I, is great. I, I love yeah, teachers. So, yeah, my favorite I, I people. <laughs> and I love that you said you go to do school visits and I can imagine how um, awesome that must be. Um, and so literally today, um, I recommend, I work next door to the library at my high school. Mm -hmm. And me and the librarian are close and I'm always recommending books as they're coming into my, and I, and I, she's already, I'm pretty sure she's already purchased Futureland, but I mm -hmm. think that's really interesting that, um, that this would really speak to students who move school to school. I get students in the middle of the year, um, all the time. So yeah, how do, yeah. uh, I guess I have another question after this has to do with the theme park part, but, um, mm -hmm. generally when you go to the school visits, um, I imagine, um, what do kids end up saying to you in response to this book, especially those that maybe have moved schools and stuff like that? Yeah. Um, so the book just came out in November and we've done a slew of school visits already. Uh, you know, some of them in conjunction with libraries, some of them just directly with schools. Um, 
But a lot of it has been, hey, like this book is out and hopefully yeah. you'll read it. So you know, most <laughs> of what I've been getting is just, oh, these pictures look cool or, oh, it's set in Atlanta. Like I've been to Atlanta or my grandma lives there, you know, stuff yeah. that uh, I think on the surface level kids can find like a connection with it. I've only been on one visit thus far, um, which was in D.C. So shout out to the schools in D.C. where uh, students had actually read the book before I got there. And that was like a real treat. And so um, they had questions and reactions about everything. Uh, I, I guess if I could take one sort of core thing away, it was how much of the book's plot related to real life. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking about gentrification, mm-hmm. talking about, um, you know, community safety and talking about history. I'm a big history buff. So I'm like trying to drop little history Easter eggs about Atlanta throughout the book. And, you know, some of the kids would be like, oh, I like I know that the Olympics was there or, you know, this, that or the other. So they seem to really be interested in um not just the fiction, but the parts of the fiction that that open up a door to the world that we live in and mm-hmm. the real things that happen there. So that's awesome, by the way. Um, I I'm curious. I'm a I was raised. I w- how do I want to say this? Every time I say this, I always it always comes off kind of funny. But I've been to Disneyland every year since I was four months old. My mom is oh, wow. grew up in Southern <laughs> California. <laughs> my my mom grew up in Pasadena. She mm-hmm. always took us. You know, we always went to Disneyland. Um, I've kept the tradition. I'm literally taking my family. My kids have been every year since they've been alive. We're going next month. Um, I'm a big theme park guy, especially mm-hmm. parks that are immersive and stuff like Disneyland. Um, right. I, maybe I misheard you, but you said the original outline didn't have a theme park or was a theme park always there? The theme park was always there. Okay. Um, okay. The theme park was always there from, from Danielle's original outline summary. Um, and you know, I think this was in the comps, but I still like to say it like her idea was uh, sort of one of the comps was Westworld, uh, uh, yeah. which if you've seen Westworld, then, you know, then it makes perfect sense. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, you know, big giant theme park full of full of robots, automatons that sort of manage everything inside the park. Um, and it was also in the very beginning um it, it always the idea came to me ready made that the park would travel as well. So okay. we had to figure out like how and why, but we always knew that it would be a traveling theme park, <laughs> that it would be an immersive experience in like not just super duper fancy tech, but like black culture. Um, and that Cameron would have been living there his entire life. Uh. I, love I, I always dreamed growing up to, sorry, LP, I always dreamed like to live in Disneyland. I used to tell my mom that when I was a kid, I want to live in Disneyland. And so at the beginning of this book, I'm like, this kid is literally living the dream. Like, you know, and, and it's interesting how the students his you know, those new friends and stuff react to that too. I just, I don't know this, that really spoke to me. I, I cut you off LP. I'm going off about <laughs> theme parks. I'll do this all no, time. It's all, well, no, but like, I think that's one of the things about the theme park. I, I, I think I'm still trying to formulate why the theme park is such a, such a cool idea because I don't know if this is a common experience, but like when the universal circus would come to Chicago, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like when, when a black circus or a black carnival would travel to where, to, to the, to the real big ass city that I live in, it was yeah. an event. And we all were were ready for it. And so the idea that like, you know, this black thing would come to town for us to enjoy 
we, we didn't have, you know, we had concerts, we had summer jam, we had super mm-hmm. fest, but like, you know, Broadway shows, you know, for the most part, the Broadway shows were white people playing white people doing white things on stage and singing weirdly. So <laughs> like the idea that Futureland is this amusement park about black people in America going throughout America and then throughout the world to like share the culture and like, I don't know, I, I just I just think that that particular part of the concept is just I think you distill it to a soundbite, but the soundbite is so much bigger. Do you know what I'm saying? Like the concept mm. is so much bigger than the soundbite. Oh, that's real. And and to Marshall's point, like I think there's so much time we could spend talking about just like the park and Cam's relationship with the park. But the funny thing is, like you know, in the first chapter, he's like, Ugh, like, I don't want to do this. You know, it's like, <laughs> no matter how, like, no matter how fantastic your life looks from one angle, you know, that, that lived experience is always different. And it doesn't mean that it's not good, but there's always, I guess, um, like nuances to, to what people are experiencing. And so, you know, I think, I haven't met a person yet who's been like, oh, living in a park, that'd be awful. But <laughs> it felt like so natural to be in the very first chapter have Cam be like, I don't want to like w- wake up and walk around and do this stuff. But like, I, I want to have fun and like <laughs> eat breakfast. So yeah, it's a, it's an interesting dynamic. Well, it's also interesting too, because when he does end up going to school, he's kind of dreading that and worried about how that'll go. And I think he makes a comment. He's like, he wasn't even there 10 minutes before before someone recognized him as the theme park kid. And immediately mm-hmm. he's put in that, um, you know, that bubble of like, this is who you are and we don't right. know you, you know? And I think when you, you know, because I moved schools in middle middle school and stuff like that. And like people make assumptions, you know, you make assumptions as kids, yeah. you know? And I think that was a really real kind of moment. But also it was lovely seeing the kids just his little crew like, Oh, you're going to come hang with us. This is awesome. And, and that dynamic was, was really, really well done. I I really appreciated them. There was that moment of course, where they're like, Oh, well, I don't know if we can help you, but that real friendship that grew that he was worried about. Um, and, and, you know, as a parent, um, it's something that I always want to make sure my kids have a little crew, like, you know, good friends around them, you know? So that was good. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that I think, to date and to date I'm through drafting the second book and about to start drafting the third one. So when I say to date, I mean like universe, (laughs) the friend group or the crew, as we call them, like it's definitely been my favorite part of writing the series. Um, And, and I knew that it was going to be that way. Like, you know, when I first got hired, I, Danielle gave me um, kids. She was like, all right, there's going to be five kids. And that's all that she told me. And I was like, oh, this is like a blank canvas. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm great. So um, I had a ball just designing each kid and their personalities and the group identity. And then beyond that, like the intergroup relationships. So not, not just like how they operate as a unit, but how, you know, Rich feels about Angel and how Angel feels about Earl and how Yusuf feels about Cam, like just creating that whole web um was so much fun and the re- and like the relationships and the group itself only like get stronger as the series goes on so um you know that was as that that's been a ton of fun to write another i guess like fun fact that i've been telling folks about the group is 
back to like jumping back to Atlanta history, um, you know, I make reference to the the missing and murdered children of Atlanta from the late seventies and early eighties. Yeah. That's really like the, you know, historical grounding that that ties into this idea of kids going missing. Um and each of the kids in Cam's crew is actually named for a kid who went missing oh. um, during that time. So, you know, we, we didn't I didn't from all of the ideas that were brought to me from Cake, I didn't know that the book was going to be in Atlanta until later, like after mm-hmm. we had already done outline and that that sort of thing. So I remember the day Daniel sent me the email and was like, do you want to set this in Atlanta? And like fireworks in my brain, because I'm like, now I know how to tie this in with like other contexts and how to really. This is the first time I've ever written about home. You know, I've been writing professionally, if you will, since 2015, but I've never said anything in Atlanta. Um, And so. Having the opportunity to do it now, like with a big book deal and with something that I know people is going to make it to people, it's going to make it to people's libraries. Uh, I really just wanted to do the best I could by Atlanta in in every way that was possible. Oh, that's awesome. I love that tidbit about the the kids. That is that's great. Um, LP, did you have another? Wait, you got muted. Yeah, I don't know oh, how I did go. that. That's great. <laughs> keep, keep your finger off the button, okay, bro? Uh, <laughs> sorry about that. Um, so <clears throat> this is just keep writing while black, and so we have to acknowledge the fact that like our experiences of publishing are different from other people's experiences of publishing. So I want to talk to you about like, and you also come in with a separate experience to publishing, right? So what were the barriers that you experienced as a black man getting to pub also like you started off self publishing and then moved into traditional publishing, publishing publication words. Uh, So talk to me (laughs) about that journey. Yeah. So I started self publishing in 2016 with a book of short stories. And um, it was definitely just like a project to prove to myself that I could do it. Uh, You know, some of the stories in there, I think age well, or, you know, stand up to the test of time. And then others, I I read them and I'm like, all right, man, what was I thinking? (laughs) (laughs) But like, I just remember this profound sense of, of pride, like after the book was out and, you know, pretty much it was just like my friends and family that bought it for the most part, but just people reading it and, people that I know will tell me the truth being like, Hey, this was pretty good. And so I kind of took that momentum and moved into a more intentional process of crafting like my second self-published book, which was a short novella about uh, a young man who is in this discovery process uh, of, of his sort of inner self, but it's like through the line, through the lens of a mental health journey. And it was written specifically for a younger audience. The book is really short, like I said, novella. So, you know, my idea was like, if I can pitch this appropriately, then even though it's an indie publication, there might be some schools and teachers that are willing to, you know, uh, consider it for any sort of co-curricular or like, you know, curricular integration. And um, I got I got really fortunate. I mean, I worked really hard, but I also got really fortunate that a lot of people saw that saw the vision in the same way that I had imagined it. And, you know, within maybe 18 months or so, there was hundreds of schools in the U.S. and Canada and the U.K. that were using the book exactly how I had imagined that they would, um, you know, bringing these conversations about mental health into the classroom space. And so I was doing 
everything except making money that I ever wanted to do <laughs> as an author. <laughs> like I wrote something, I got to talk about it with kids and teachers. Um, people, you know, kids would draw me little pictures, for, like scenes uh. for the book. They write me letters, um, and I got to travel around and talk about art and writing. And so, like, I was happy. But once again, that took me to a place of thinking, like, all right, if I could do this, if I could achieve this contentment with like how my career is structured on my own. If I was able to leverage, you know, all of all of the things that they say traditional publishing can help with just that reach and that distribution, then, you know, maybe I can do this on a bigger scale and reach even more kids and, uh, you know, have the stuff that I write hopefully be even more helpful or at least entertaining to, to people in other places. So I think I, I definitely sacrificed some things. I decided that I wasn't going to self-publish anything else until I publish something traditionally. So there was a gap of like four years where nobody had read anything that I had written. <laughs> and that was kind of like weird for me because uh, I was used to having a book out all the time and folks would be saying like, oh, I really like this thing that you wrote all these years ago. But to them, it was new. And to me, it was like cringe. <laughs> it was like, oh, well, <laughs> so much better now. Um, but also, I guess, speaking to your part, your question about the transition, I didn't, um, I didn't really study creative writing in school. I didn't do an MFA. I didn't do any professional workshops until um, 2019. And so I didn't have like a, a, com a writing community that could help me understand the industry and the entry points and, you know, all of that good stuff. I hustled my way into a mentor. <laughs> Shout out Lamar Giles for letting me bug him until he finally broke down. Um, <laughs> And then Lamar was really instrumental in um, connecting me with other industry personnel and eventually linking me up with Danielle. And then, um, you know, once I was sort of in the in the bubble, if you will, I learned a, I learned a lot really quickly. And then I was able to secure representation and, you know, that sort of thing. But I wish I had like some some quick tips or stories, but it was really like working really hard and not taking no for an answer and trying to connect with people. Like I feel that there's all of these playbooks and guidebooks on how you can accomplish things in publishing. But at the end of the day, it's just a business full of people and the, like the better relationships that you can form, you, the higher probability you have of being able to, you know, move your career in ways that you want to. So I was fortunate enough to get connected with some good people who, um, who helped me out. I mean, I, I assume that they had to feel like the writing was good as well. So <laughs> it's not, it's not just the, the networking part, but you know, I don't know that I would have been in the same place had I not connected with Lamar and been able to, you know, meet all these teachers and librarians and other people who helped to platform what I was doing. Yeah. I mean, that's something we talk about on all our shows pretty much is community and, and, and leaning on people and shit, you know, writing groups and, and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a couple of us on the podcast that are in MFA programs, but everybody has a different path, but at the same mm -hmm. time, it's like, who's your community? Who's, who's with you. And, um, and I think these stories are really, really good to hear for our listeners to hear, because I mean, there's no one way to do any of this, honestly. Yeah, it's, and, yeah. and it's, you know, and some of us are still, trying to figure out what that path looks like for us. So it's, it's, I love hearing that. So, um, did you have another thing LP or I was going to go back to the other, the other thing I wrote down? 
Go to the other I'm, thing you wrote I'm, down. I'm on a, I'm on a, I'm on a thing in my head. Go ahead. <laughs> Let it roll. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I, I didn't know ahead of time. Um, there were so many visuals that went along with the book. Um, mm. uh, LP said, okay, you got to read this book. Um, we're going to have Hugh on. It's going to be great. I said, okay, cool. So I usually do audiobooks. I, I'm always, oh, okay. I'm always running around. I'm always doing something. I was telling LP before we got on mic that typically I'll listen to audiobooks in between shots on the golf course on the weekend. Cause I'm just like, right. you know, trying to do that. Um, so, but there were parts and the audiobook for people that like audiobooks, the audiobook for this is amazing. Um, the, the voice cast is awesome, but then I realized partway through, I felt like I was missing something. And mm. because there was like, there were certain parts that were like, there were sound effects. And then there was right. like, they had changed. There was like echoes and like, um, mm -hmm. it was almost like I was missing out on like a script portion or something. And then there was like little, you know, there's news headlines and stuff like that. And I was like, what is going on here? So I picked up the, <laughs> I picked up the Kindle book. What kind of book is this? I'm like, I'm like, I, I'm like, I love it, but what am I missing? There's something I'm missing. Um, and so I picked up the Kindle and I was just like, oh man, there's comics in here. There's maps mm -hmm. in here. There's all this whole visual aspect to it. So I got to ask, was that an idea from the beginning? Was this part of the whole construct um, to have this visual aspect along with it? Um, which really honestly compliments the, the audio book um, and has you got, kind of had me going back and forth, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to the whole voice cast as well. The audio book really is a treat. Um, I think, you know, when I'm talking about Random House and things where, you know, they've just exceeded expectations or come through with like a choice or decision that I really didn't expect or imagine would be possible as a debut author, the audiobook and the um, the illustrations are are two of those like shining bright examples. Um, we, meaning myself and Danielle and the Cake team, hoped that there would be able to be some type of graphic element. Uh, you know, we wrote the book that way when we sold it on proposal. We, um, you know, we had like the scripts written out for the different interstitials, the news headlines, and stuff like that. And, um, shoot, I, I would say, you know, maybe before I had even finished drafting the book from, from the sale, Random House came back and was like, we'd like to not only design y'all's images for your interstitials, but we think that we should do a series of comic panels where we just like illustrate certain scenes. Would that be okay? That was the, that was the question in the email. <laughs> would that be okay with y'all? No, I was like, yeah, I mean, I, I guess that would be okay. Like, <laughs> I'm sure we could make that work. <laughs> like, hell yeah. Like, this is, this is great, you know? So it's become like a staple of the trilogy. And hopefully one of the things that it's re remembered by, um, because, you know, we're at the point internally as a team where we're like fighting over which scenes we want to make comic panels now <laughs> every time that we're in a new in a new book process. It's just like one of the things that, that we all get really excited about. And um, the the mission between Random House and Cake and myself for this book in particular was like we want anybody to be able to pick this book up and have a good experience. So if you're a kid that loves to read, we try to make it a book that you'll love to read. If you're a kid that doesn't, then we try to maybe change your mind. <laughs> and if you're a kid that is not quite sure how you feel, 
this might be something that can pull you further in. And I think that the graphic elements, um, I hope that the graphic elements, uh, you know, uh, are, are one part of the book that, that helped to do that. Well, I'm definitely, I'm going to have to pick up the hard copy now because my youngest loves graphic novels. Like he, I know he can read novel. I mean, he's almost 12 and he can read yeah. well. He's been reading since he was little, but um, he loves graphic novels. And it's like, it's if I give fun. him a book that's all words, he's like, well, you know, so, but just mm-hmm. like, I think the visual aspect of, of this particular book will get him kind of past that, that little bit of a hurdle. So I think that's, I think it's really, really awesome the way, it, the way it looks. So um, if the, if you need another selling point for the book, I suppose. <laughs> I'm and you also, you also need a hard copy so that you can sign it. That's what I'm saying. So I'm going to buy two more. Okay. Got it. Yeah. 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 There you go. I'm going to march into random house headquarters and be like, Marshall told me. <laughs> I got my name and see what happens. I would love that. Yeah, right. right, right. <laughs> oh, that's great. All right. What else do we have here? You're next. OP. I shall now. Um, so actually I think you should go with the six point. Cause I want to talk about past this. Book. Oh, got it. Okay. So speaking of the book, uh, let me bring up my, my Kindle. There's a section in it that I, my favorite section is mm-hmm. towards the end. Um, and I think this kind of touches on, um, a lot of the things that we've been talking about, but I just want to like, want to read the section. It's at the very end of chapter 19. And then I just kind of want to see, not what you think, but just if you could talk about that section for uh, okay. to the audience. So yeah. um, I kept staring out of the window as my heart felt like it might burst. No kid had ever done what I was trying to do, especially no kid that looked like me and in a city like Atlanta at that, going up against the evil is evil. I wasn't giving up. No way. Detective Cam was here to stay. I had to do this for my Uncle Trey, for my real parents, for Dooley, for my family. The truth, the dream is the truth. Just like in Futureland, it was time for me to dream big. I I've re- reread it like four times today. <laughs> well, <laughs> so much. Yeah, wow. It's been it's been a little bit since I like read through cover to cover. You know, you read the book so many times in in editorial. Mm. Uh, so I gave myself a break after November, but um the thing about this this scene and this passage is that it's one of the last things that made it into the book. Like I think I I think I wrote this maybe like once we were already into copy edits. It was one of those things that I like kind of slid in um, as a way to reconstruct the end of that chapter. And Cam is talking about you know moving forward with how he plans to solve the mystery and save the day. Um, but I think for me as a writer, it's pulling from my experience growing up in Atlanta, um, you know, this is a very black city. And the one of the best parts about that and growing up here was that any profession or sort of cultural status of import uh, that you can imagine, for my whole childhood, I looked around and I, I saw black people doing it. You know, we've had, I think we've had a black mayor the entire time that I've been alive. Um, and whether it be other politicians, actors, musicians, athletes, you know, public figures, there was just like never anything that um, I thought I couldn't do because of my race. It wasn't until I got out of the Atlanta bubble and for college and for internships and went other places that, you know, didn't operate in that sort of like (laughs) 
Wakanda-esque sort of framework (laughs) (laughs) where I was like, wow, like not only is it harder for me here, but people who grew up here, or this is, you know, all they've experienced, there's these, these natural sort of barriers that they, this is just the way that they have been experiencing the world. And they, it's hard for them to even imagine that things could be different. And so for Cam, uh, in this moment, it's channeling that same energy of like, I don't come from a place or a background or, uh, you know, a legacy where doing what I'm about to do is, uh, is a part of it. But I believe in myself. I've gotten some confirmation from my close family and friends. I think that I can make this happen and um, I'm going to go for it. And, and I think that his journey in the first book of really figuring out when he wants to be courageous and about what is the main thing that even gives us the opportunity to have a trilogy, because like that level of growth carries over to the next books. And um, it's just like a really proud moment for him. And, I, and I, it's the kind of moment that I hope all kids have at some point of just realizing, like, no matter what people think, uh, I believe that I can do insert thing here and I'm going to go for it. Uh, so that's, it's, thank you. I, I just, that's, <laughs> that's what I, I, I just, I love that section so much. And I think people need to hear and kids need to hear that. Like I, like I said, teaching and being around teenagers all day, like I, I can say it all day long. Like you can do this. You can, you can pass yeah. this test. You can do this. You could do that. And until they realize it for themselves, like me saying, mm-hmm. it's not going to do it. Like there's, there's right. that moment where you must kind of, you got to kind of step into it. Um, and that is definitely that moment for Cam and it was awesome. And it really led into the end of the book and it was just really well done. So I, I, if I, I, I couldn't not bring up that section. I told LP, I said, I highlight this section. I'm going to read this out. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. That's, that's not one of the ones that, um, that folks have pointed out to me thus far. So it's cool to like, it kind of, you know, that's why I kind of, threw me for a loop when you read it. I'm like, wow, like I, of course, remember writing this section and I remember how I felt when I wrote it, but it's just not one that I've talked about um, since, since we've started doing promo and stuff. So I appreciate you. Yeah. He he, he read it and, uh, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. You can pose that to him. It's like, I I mean, I don't know if there's a question there. I just. When I tell you that this is my shit, I don't need yeah. any correspondence about hey, that. Hey, look, that, that's welcome too. I appreciate it. <laughs> I want to switch gears just a little um, because this is a middle grade book and I know that you write for the kids and when yes. you write for the kids, you write for the, the, the slightly little ends to the to the almost grown-ins. So uh-huh. tell me about the experience of writing middle grade versus writing YA. Torment was a YA book, right? Yeah, yeah. My my second indie novel, Torment, was a was a young adult book. And um, the next thing that's coming from me that's not a Futureland book is a young adult book as well. So um, Futureland just kind of got sandwiched in there. Like I had written two YA novels. One I pulled, I shelved during the query stage. I didn't feel after I got a few no's based like the nature of the no's, I was like, all right, this might not be the one for right now. And then I drafted another YA book. But the thing with Kate kind of like popped off in the middle of that. So I never imagined that I would be, you know, welcomed into the industry as a middle grade writer. I 
another reason the first book was chaos because I had never really written anything for middle grade before. So, <laughs> you know, it was like the first draft of Futureland by my standards was pretty sophisticated. Um, and Random House did a lot of tugging on the reins, like, all right, look here, buddy. Like, <laughs> a nine-year-old is not going to know what you're talking about. Like, I'm into, like, very deep, like, scientific theory and, like, <laughs> all types of stuff that, you know, a younger kid doesn't need to enjoy the story or be able to make sense of it. And so I had to develop, like, another writing voice, not just to tell the story through Cam's perspective, but just to... I tweeted the other day, like they're writing middle grade was funny because I've grown another wrinkle in my brain that exclusively thinks about analogies or metaphors that like an eight year old might make. And, <laughs> you know, I try to like put though when I'm when I'm describing stuff, instead of using the language that, you know, we learn as adult writers and readers, I'm like, mm. It kind of looks like a snail. Yeah, like it's a snail, right? So uh, <laughs> um, I'm grateful for the opportunity and uh, for everything that I've learned from Danielle and, you know, the editors in the process of, uh, you know, making myself into a middle grade writer. But I think YA is just like my, it's where I fall naturally. Like when I'm not thinking about it and I'm writing, that's usually where the voice and tone and uh, the themes all come together for my writing. So I will be very excited when, um, you know, when I have a, another release, another YA release, uh, and the world can kind of get caught up on what I'm doing in that arena. You want to talk a little bit about your next release? Yeah, yeah. So um, I guess technically the next thing is Futureland 2, um, which will be out this fall around the same time that the Futureland 1 paperbacks are coming out. So uh, definitely keep an eye out for that. It'll be uh, spooky. If y'all remember the chapter in the mines, when Cam yeah. goes into the mines and yeah. he has like the spooky adventure there, I basically was like, what if I took this chapter and just made it a whole book? <laughs> and the folks on the random house side, I don't want to say they didn't like that chapter, but I remember when I turned it in for the first time, like immediately I got an email that was like, well, this was a little different. <laughs> and so <laughs> I was like, yeah, wasn't it great? <laughs> and so um, yeah, the whole second book was like, just like very creepy was a great fun time for me, but I, I don't know. I think they just more so put up with it. Um, but after um, November in the early part of 2024, at least directionally, we have to get our official uh, pub date. I'll be releasing a, a young adult coming of age novel with a romance at the center of the plot um, through FSG, which is a Macmillan imprint. And uh, yeah, it's called something like right. And it's a contemporary novel. It's about a kid who gets expelled from his district school for fighting. And he has to finish out his year in an alternative school. And he meets his first crush at an alternative school and sort of has the remainder of the school year before he goes back uh, for re-entry into his district school to try to woo her, try to get to know her, try to you know be her friend and see what's possible in this relationship before they both go their separate ways. So, um, yeah, I'm like really in my in my soft romantic black boy <laughs> like public school <laughs> kid contemporary young adult novel writing bag. Uh, and it's been a great process. <laughs> so I'm excited for everybody to, to, uh, to have a chance to experience it. 
That's so dope. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> it's so cute. It's just like such a cute book. <laughs> and it's only gotten cuter like each revision. So at this point, I'm just like shaking with excitement. Oh, but I, I just feel like we don't get a, uh, we don't get enough chances to see soft black boys. Not soft black boys, but black boys not have to be hard. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, it's like an interesting for this character. The main character's name is Xavier. He goes by Zay. And for Zay, it's, it's interesting because you know he gets expelled for fighting. It's like a really bad fight. You know, he's in a high school where folks uh, try to push you around, and if you don't stick up for yourself, then who knows what might happen. So. You know, he's used to being, even though he's not a troublemaking kid, he's used to being in this environment that will put pressure on you in that way. And um, he like has all of these feelings all of a sudden and has to figure out like what to do with them (laughs) and the the process of him figuring out what to do with them and really stepping into his own um, is it's just something that was so tender for me to write. Like it just felt so great to be able to write um, a kid who doesn't necessarily come to us as being like settled and okay in that sort of softer identity, but it is a part of, it. it is truly who he is. And so it more of a, a, like an unveiling to himself that like, it's okay for me to, to have these feelings and to not want to be involved in, <laughs> you know, uh, some of the stuff that doesn't make me feel as good. So, uh, looking forward I, to that too. <laughs> I don't know. That just it, it reminds me of a lot of the kids like I teach, and it's just some of them get sent. Uh, the alternative school is like literally across the street from the mm. high school, and it's like kids are sent over there for various reasons, and some of these kids just get wrapped up in stuff. So, um, I'm I'm looking forward to it. It's, I mean, and it sounds cute as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the funny thing about that is. Um, like just people's different knowledge about alternative schools has been so varied, I find, depending on where they grew up, where they work, where they teach. Uh, and so like, you know, like you said, for for your school, the alternative school is across the way. When I was growing up, my district high school, our alternative school was like 40 miles away. Oh. So like you had to, and that's the situation in something like right as well. Like Zay actually has to move in with uh, his aunt to finish the year. And so mm. there's a lot of change all at once. It's like this one decision or this one thing that happened has completely altered his life. And it wasn't even something that he intended to do. Yeah. Um, but then he meets this girl and he starts to feel like there's one good thing going for me. And like, if I can just see this through, then maybe everything else will get better. Um, oh, well, Definitely going to read that. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, so before we get to our last couple questions, we have anything else you want to throw out there, LP, that we have on our list? Yeah, I want to, you know, we, we talk about just keep writing, just, just keep writing. So two things I want to hear from you. One is your best advice for writers listening to you, you know, mm. specifically as someone who writes young people. And then I'll ask the second question when you answer that. Yeah, my best advice for writers, um, don't write alone. <laughs> I know that this won't be news to, to ULP because we are constantly chattering about this back and forth. But like, you know, I spent so much of my career starting indie, not not starting with a built in community from, you know, my academic side, just writing by myself. And though that was 
useful in some ways. It's not the way for me that I'm the best writer. It's not the way that I learn the fastest. It's not the way that I produce the the best work. And so, you know, as I've been fortunate enough to to find more community, to meet more people, to learn from them, to invest in in that community by trying to to help share what I know, uh, I think it's only it's not only made me a better writer, but it's just made this whole process like bearable, honestly, uh, because it's tough to be putting all of your talent and hopes and dreams and wishes into a piece of art and like not knowing where it's going to go because none of us ever really do for sure. But then feeling like you're doing that and nobody can see you like <laughs> at, at the very minimum, if you're doing it and you're surrounded by people who, you know, can see you, then, um, you know, I, I think regardless of what happens, it starts to feel more worthwhile. So, yeah, I know it might sound simple or or contrary to to what most folks are used to, but don't write alone. Find you a good group of people that you trust, whose work and perspectives you you respect, and you know build that rapport with them to be able to share and exchange ideas and and work and um, do your part to to make the exchange equal and just ride it out. You ain't got to tell us. We are all about the community over here. Just keep <laughs> Y'all check Already. out the Discord, okay? <laughs> check out the Discord. We love a good Discord. We love a good Discord. I also wanted to ask, uh, again, in your writing lane, mm-hmm. your lane, you just you tell me what, what, what that looks like. Okay. Uh, what, what is the book that you feel like people need to read? Oh, wow. Um, so... I'll be talking, I mean, this is no surprise. If you've heard me talk about literature in an informal or formal space in like the last five, four or five years, I think it's been like yeah, four or five years, I guess, then you probably already know what I'm about to say. But I will be talking about Pet by Kweke Amezi for the rest of my life, for the rest of my life. So if you read young adult literature and you have not read Pet by Kweke Amezi, uh, you got to do it. You just, play you just have to do it. <laughs> yeah, like you're already <laughs> late, but it's okay. There's still a place for you at the table. It's a phenomenal work. Uh, Kweke is a phenomenal writer. And to me personally, like one of the most talented, if not the most talented, like writer that we have currently writing. And, and I think to take the complexity and the vision and the experimentation that they bring to like their memoirs and adult fiction works and everything else that they write and to successfully package that into a a young adult novel. I had just never read anything like it. Like I I had the privilege of getting a advanced copy, you know, back some years ago before the book came out. And um, I was actually on another podcast doing like an early review of it. And I could barely speak. Like they were like, "Hugh, what did you think? And I was just like, man, I, So having had, you know, years to continue reading it and keep talking about it, I just it, not not everybody is going to be a writer like a Kweke in that you're you're not going to necessarily choose to have the same style or to do experimentation in the same way. But I think that as a writer, looking at how fully they take up space in their own special, unique craft at the very minimum hopefully that can be something that gives writers permission to do that in a way that is tailored to themselves. Like you should be able to read that book and be like, wow, this author really got in this container and, and pushed the walls out. And like, I have ideas about how I can do that in my own craft. 
And I feel a little bit more fearless about doing that now because I see that it's been done. Uh, I can hear our Discord adding it to the to be read list right now if they haven't done it. That sounds, <laughs> it's on my list now for sure. It sounds amazing. Yeah, for sure. So in the in the show notes, uh, I've added uh, Hugh's site, of site Futureland, something like right. Uh, Hugh's Patreon, which from what I understand is very lit. Uh, <laughs> it's a fun time. <laughs> not gonna lie, I know Hugh because we're voodoo knots. We 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 started the ship. We we set the ship a sail together, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe at some point we'll have the voodoo knots come together for a, a just keep riding moment. But now oh, that wow. you're the third voodoo knot hey. on this bad boy, so oh for no. real, oh wow. yeah. See, but see, it's different though because when you when you get us separately, you, we kind of like halfway sane, and then when you get us together, <laughs> then Marshall might together. have to stop the feed. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I just want to be in the room when this happens. That's all. Oh, man. I I swear, the first, like, 20 minutes of every summer fellowship is just us, like, talking shit to one another. And all of the new fellows are, like, looking on the screen like, are we in the right place? (laughs) Well, Yvette's going to be on – Yvette will be the second week of Black History Month. So that will make four. uh, But maybe we could try to – Figure out a time to get a uh, do a posse uh, cut, yeah. A posse cut, tight. yeah. I was like, I was like, well, maybe Juneteenth, and I was like, wait, that's also Pride Month. I was like, I don't know, we'll see how this uh, goes. But yeah, it might be, might be booked and busy. But, so, but you know what? April looks good. Okay, <laughs> hey, it sounds great, and yeah, I'm excited that a vet will be here. A vet is brilliant, so I know that you know whatever she gets on here and says is going to be amazing. I'm two stories deep into the collection, and I'm just like. God, I, I like I know from talking to her that she's brilliant, but like these mm-hmm. stories out here does kicking my ass. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, so we have a bunch of stuff in the show notes for you already. Before we get to our very last question, where else can people find you, follow you that we didn't mention? You know, social media, anything like that, we can throw in the show notes that because you're gonna you're gonna have a add some more people to your community after this. I, I I'm gonna tell you that. So our Discord is going to love it. I, I certainly appreciate <laughs> it. That's that's what I'm all about. And, uh, you know, with this, I guess, portion of my career sort of just getting started, like the traditional part, um, it, re- it really has meant a lot to me to just meet new people and have yeah. folks that I didn't know before be like, hey, I, you know, I read this or I heard about this coming out and, you know, I'm following following how things are going with you. So I really do appreciate it. Everything is uh, HD underscore tsd that's my instagram twitter patreon everything and um so yeah if you're ever curious about what i'm got going on or uh any like forthcoming works or any media that i'm doing uh, i'm not the best social media person but i try to at least keep a like a running record of of the most important things uh, on on the sites nice um Cool. That'll be in the show notes as well. And we have always have one last question. I'm gonna let LP ask the question. Okay. Oh, okay. Good. Unless yeah. you want me to, I thought I thought you should. I think it's important. Yeah, okay, I, I, okay. Cool. It's good. It's good. <laughs> uh, this is my first time uh, uh, co-driving an episode, so we're oh, okay. you're hearing a lot of the behind the scenes in front of the scenes. Hey, I love it. I love it. Uh, so, like we ask at the whenever we have a new person on the the podcast, what keeps you writing? Uh, I wish I could like, like if I would have been able to have the future vision to, to anticipate this question, I would have pulled out the specific letter that I'm, that I'm thinking about as a symbol. Uh, in, in short, I'll say the kids, like 
all of the the tribulations and stress and you know parts of publishing or any other profession that aren't so fun um you know all of that stuff is tough until i get into a classroom and get to hear from a kid who read something that i wrote and it meant something to them mm-hmm. and i have letters from from students that they send me after i leave their schools and i mean i literally like cry like going through these letters because of how open and honest and tender they are about their experiences either having you know me come into their school or getting a chance to you know ask me a question about something i wrote um i remember one time i was in tampa florida this was for my second indie book the the mental health book and a young lady came up to me after my presentation and she said i really liked your book and uh i said well what was your favorite part and she kind of froze up. And then I felt bad because I'm like, oh, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. <laughs> but um, she finally said, uh, well, I don't remember all the parts specifically, but I remember how it made me feel. Oh. Uh, mm-hmm. I moved around a lot as a kid. And, you know, your character moves around a lot. And it just, I don't know, it just made me feel good. And like in those moments, like eventually I'll get back to my computer and I'll be slamming my fist down on the desk and I'll be, you know, <laughs> upset about whatever isn't going how I want it to go. But in those moments where I'm seeing the, in my opinion, the best part of this job, uh, which is when that that thing that you made is in somebody else's hands and it takes on a new life and starts to mean something, not in an objective sense, but like to a person. Uh, <laughs> you know, as long as I get to keep doing that, then I'll do it for as long as I can. Uh. Hey. <laughs> and that's the uh. cut yeah I appreciate it thank you, you so much for being on the show we really appreciate it can't wait to have you back again this is awesome thank y'all hey yeah. look anytime I'm not doing anything except slamming my fist down on the desk and well I mean look the beauty of this is that there's another future land coming at the end of the year so you know we'll be knocking if you got the spoons oh yeah for sure and this has been Just Keep Writing a podcast for writers by writers to keep you writing you can find us at justkeepwriting.org follow us on Facebook Twitter Instagram and YouTube feel free to reach out to any of us on our social medias and please jump in our just keep writing discord channel links to all of that is in the show notes lastly please support our show by going to patreon.com slash just keep writing we offer daily writing prompts early access to podcast episodes and much more thanks for listening and just keep writing